Good evening, everyone. How's everybody doing? Muy bueno. It's good. Um, we are really excited about tonight. Um, in a lot of ways, the last three sessions, we've been building for tonight. Okay? Um, if you haven't been here before, if you've missed a session, that's fine. There will be a lot that you can glean from this, but I would encourage you guys, go back and listen to the last workshops, okay? Um, you can find that on wherever you find your podcasts, I think. Um, I know it's on Spotify, at least. Spotify and Apple. And Apple, whatever that is. Um, We're not the technical people. This is a workshop, okay? We are not going to be telling you exactly what you should do, okay? But hopefully giving you tools that you guys can implement in your marriages, okay? Um, so, um, we're going to have you out of here by 8.30 tonight, um, and so let's pray and get ready to do some work, all right? Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for um, just all the marriages that are represented here. Um, Lord, I ask that you would give us insights tonight. Father, would you help us to understand our spouse? Would you help us to understand how we approach conflict, how our spouses approach conflict? And Lord, would you help us to um, ultimately reflect you in everything that we do? Jesus, we love you and we need you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Um, so, last session, we talked a lot about communication. Okay, As you guys, I'm sure, know, communication is very important in our marriages. Um, we spent quite a bit of time talking on... Uh, talking about listening skills, drawing people out, asking good questions, heart-level communication and head-level communication, and getting on the same page, okay? So we want to do a quick icebreaker. At your table, share what you took away and what you implemented this past month. Okay, not sure if everybody had a chance to share or not, but um, a couple of quotes that I want to start us off with. Um, so the first one is from Todd Hill. Uh, so this is a plug for Wednesday night. Okay, Todd Hill will be with us. Um, he shared this at a conference we were at recently. He says, the highest form of intimacy is speaking the truth. The highest form of intimacy is speaking the truth. Okay. Um, and then another one by Tony and Alicia De Lorenzo. Conflict can be a landmine or a gold mine. Oftentimes we view conflict as landmines, and the truth is they can be gold mines. Yeah, so as we jump into tonight's content, um, we believe that, so like last time Austin said, we talked a lot about listening well. So if we're not listening well, conflict's not going to go well, right? Um, a lot of, like Austin said, a lot of what we've covered is going to be foundational for tonight. And just a few things that I would want to mention as it relates to conflict is that in session one, we talked about identifying our values as a couple. 
oftentimes where we are finding conflict is because our values are in conflict. And so the more that we can get on that same page about what we value as a team, as a unit, as a marriage, um, some of that conflict can actually be minimized or mitigated, um, but also just recognizing that we are bringing different values to the table, and so how are we going to find a solution when Austin values efficiency and I value quality? Like You can see how that can create conflict, right? So um, values is going to be an important piece of conflict management. Um, also, the four horsemen, which was from the session one, I'll just throw these up here. We talked about these quite a bit. Um, but the four horsemen, um, the on the left-hand side, the criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, I mean, clearly those are going to be things that um, exacerbate conflict, or if you're not able to um, take control of those things with the antidotes, it's going to make conflict management worse um, instead of being able to find that resolution. So that's going to be an important piece of our conversation. Um, trust and commitment is where we spent a lot of time in session two. Building that trust and commitment without trust, conflict is going to be difficult, right? It's going to be more difficult if we aren't trusting our spouse. Um, that's like, how do you find a solution to something if you can't trust your spouse? Um, or if your spouse isn't committed, or if you're not committed, then you're not even going to work towards finding solution. You'll live more like roommates instead of um, being committed to a solution. Um, and it can just be fruitless or cause further division. So before we get too far into the skills of managing conflicts, like Austin said, we do want to give you guys some tools. Um, but before we get there, we feel like the most important thing is found in Matthew 7. So if you will open your Bibles if you brought them. Um, we're going to hop over to Matthew 7. And I'm going to read just a couple verses. Verses 3 through 5 of Matthew 7. It says... Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Oh, I just lost my spot. Sorry. Um, when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So before we get into more skills, I just think it's important that if we are not humble enough to recognize the part that we are playing in any conflict, we will not find resolution no matter how skilled we are, no matter how many tools we have. If we don't have the humility to recognize that in every conflict I do play a part, no matter how one-sided it may seem, I bring something to the table that is flawed. I mean, even, yeah. Um, and so I just want to identify maybe two different types of logs. This comes from a church called Watermark Community. They have something called a conflict field guide. Um, and they talk about how there are two kinds of logs when it comes to conflict. The first one would be attitudes and biases, which make you overly negative, critical, or sensitive. So that would be one log to address in your own eye. Do I have attitudes and biases that I am bringing to the table that are actually skewing my perspective, that I interpret things through a lens that isn't totally true? So I think about like a funhouse mirror. Um, if you've ever been to like a funhouse, they have like a wavy mirror that just pulls things like 
they have a real picture that they're reflecting, but they distort things where some things look smaller or larger. Um, so our attitudes and our biases that we bring into conflict can often cause like our part to look like it's smaller and then exaggerate or magnify what our partner's part is. And then the second part, the second type of log would be actually sinful words and actions that we have, um, we have brought to the table. So I would say get suspicious. The first step in conflict management would be to get suspicious about the sin in your own heart. What is going on in your own heart that would be contributing to this conflict? This is in marriage and otherwise, right? So get suspicious about what's going on in your heart that could be um, magnifying or fueling or causing the conflict. So we had um, sent out some homework for this session, okay? Um, and this is from a, a blog um, that we had sent you guys. But there are 10 pitfalls, okay, um, to communication, if you want to throw those up. Um, <coughs> oh, where are the clickers at? Okay. So the first one, believing communication is only about being heard. That's number one. Number two, unawareness of your own negative patterns. So withdrawal, escalation, negative interpretations, and invalidation. Number three, assuming that no fight equals health. We've done some premarital counseling, and we've heard this from people. Hey, we're great. We've never, we don't fight. That's actually not necessarily healthy. Uh, number four, treating I'm sorry as the end of the conflict. I'm guilty of that. Number five, believing forgiveness is forgetting. Number six, blaming your spouse as the source of your conflict. Seven, avoiding structure or format for handling conflict. How many of you guys have structure or format, like a format for handling conflict? Anyone? Okay. You're going to get some tonight. You're going to get some. Okay. Um, it's not something we're taught in school. It's not really something we're taught by our parents. Okay, oftentimes we're taught how our parents handled conflict, but is that a good format? Can I interject something there? One of the um, hopes and expectations that was posted at the beginning was um, how do we deal with conflict in front of our kids? Like when is it appropriate, when is it not? And um, I don't know that I have like all the wisdom on it, but here's what I would say, having a background in counseling, is that we learn how to manage conflict based on our family of origin, and so if you can learn how to manage it in health, it's really healthy for your kids to see you do that. So if you do adopt a format, if you do find a way to resolve conflict without being accusatory and critical and condescending, then I would say it's healthy for your kids to see how you guys work those things out. Yeah, I agree. Um, number eight is eliminating an option of a timeout. Okay, um, there's a great analogy of um, if you if you drive a vehicle into a mud pit and you you start getting stuck. Sometimes it's best to just stop and wait for the mud to dry, and you can just drive out. Versus if you just keep spinning your wheels, what happens? You just sink lower and lower and lower. Okay, so a timeout can be a really good thing. 
Um, number nine, forgetting that time and place matter. Okay? We're going to get to some of this later. Um, number 10, going at it alone rather than inviting help in. Okay? Um, and so uh, we're going to put some music on. And what I want you to do is just individually self-evaluate which of these 10 pitfalls do you tend towards and how can you avoid this pitfall? Okay, so now evaluate your spouse. This is just individually. Evaluate your spouse. Which of these does he or she tend towards? Now take a couple of minutes with your spouse, discuss your responses, and repent if necessary. All right. So Austin mentioned um, number two up there is the unawareness of your own negative patterns. So we are going to take a minute and take a deeper dive into those negative patterns that um, that are identified there. Um, we have heard a sermon called Don't Be a Weenie, which is like the acronym for those, W-E-N-I. So if that helps you to remember them, great. Um, I'm sure you can look it up also. Um, so the first one here is um, withdrawing or avoiding. Um, I know that might be hard to read, um, but withdrawing and avoidance is the unwillingness to get in and or stay in important conversations or not going um, to the topic at all. Um, I can add this in the email, too, if that's helpful for you guys. Um, um, I love seeing the phones out, though. That's a great way to do it. Um, so withdrawing and avoidance, that's like, I will not go to the important conversations. I would say if there are certain topics that are off limits in your marriage, that is a red flag. So invite people in to help you guys if you need to. Um, but let's get to the bottom of what's going on. Why are there topics that cannot be touched? My guess would be that there is some pride, shame, and fear at work. Um, and so the better way, better than withdrawing and avoiding, is to address the issue, obviously, and to stay in the conversation. Um, take a time out if you need to, like it was mentioned on the last slide. Um, but a timeout is with the purpose of revisiting it. And Austin mentioned that analogy of the mud drying. So set a time limit because the point is not to further push this, like it's not to avoid it, right? If you're, if you're trying to do a better way, the timeout is not, we need to take a timeout now because they can't handle it and oh, we're never gonna come back to it. The point is you set a limitation on it and you revisit it when the emotions have um, decreased a little bit. So then the next one, escalation. Um, I think everyone's probably been in an argument that just escalates quickly with raising voices and accusations and um, any of those like negative responses, threats, having to have the last word, having to win. Um, I can think of someone that's like, that I've had conflict with, it's like, okay, you're beating a dead horse at this point. Like, I know, and I'm sorry, and I want to do better. You know, that es those escalation tendencies that, that really just fuel the fire. Um, so a better way is to de-escalate. 
um, especially by calling a timeout. I feel like um, this particularly um, can be tricky. Like we don't always have like great de-escalation strategies. So we want to park here for a minute and have a large group discussion. What are some things that are working for you? Austin gets described today. He, he hates this part. I will mix up. Yeah. Are these yours? Uh, this one, yeah, this first one. He's great with numbers. That's right, Grant. Um, so what are some things that work for you? What are some things that de-escalate conflict that you can utilize to bring that heat down, to bring the temperature down? Okay, giving some time for the other person. Okay, a calm tone. Your tone matters, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so calming. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, like reassuring the commitment and like I'm on your team kind of a thing. Yeah, that's good, Brenda. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, physical touch can actually be really de-escalating if it's done appropriately. There have been times that I'm like fiery and, and Austin can like put a hand on me and de-escalate. But this is a tricky thing because sometimes I'm like, stop it. <laughs> like, um, and that takes humility on my part, okay? Like, so if I can be humble enough in that moment and recognize he isn't patronizing me, he's actually trying to find resolution and he is using a skill that, that can be helpful at times and like allowing him the freedom to do that, like it, it can be really diffusing. Proximity and physical touch can be really de-escalating in a time that it's heated. And I hope that y each of you has some sort of a de-escalation strategy in bed when you're going to bed, right? Because you know you go to bed and you're frustrated with it with your spouse. Like, what's the next move? You know what you can do to de-escalate and, like, take it where it needs to go. But are you willing to go there, right? No, and I'm not talking about sexually, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about, like, you know, backs to each other. What are you doing? Are you gonna roll? Are you gonna be the one, to f the first one to roll over? Are you gonna be the one to reach over and like, okay, I'm sorry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I was. I'm. I hope someone else was as confused. You are a clear communicator, but that was helpful distinction. Prayer. Yeah. Can we pray? Hey, woman, <laughs> go wash the dishes. <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. <laughs> we got a little glimpse into the Zumpano home. <laughs> I yes, exactly. So you're giving your permission to your wife to have this space that you know that she needs because you know her and you love her and you are trying to yield and, like, bend and serve her. That's beautiful. I'll go do this. <laughs> Can I just recap that real quick just for the recording? So knowing your spouse, knowing if they're an internal or external processor can be really helpful. Knowing your spouse in other areas as well. S and then recognizing the differences is not good or bad, but just different. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, don't match their energy. If they're getting worked up, if their emotions are high, you don't have to go there as well because it just escalates. Yeah, was there something over here? Someone's missing something. Don't talk over. Don't talk over. Be respectful. 
<laughs> you go take a nap. Yes, I will serve you and you go take a nap. I'm going to guess that service is your love language. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Austin likes to do the dishes for me, and I'm like, can you just look at me in the eyes and talk to me and tell me how great I am? <laughs> it also is helpful. I, it's not like I am ungrateful. Um, a couple of things that we would just um, add to that would be admitting fault where possible. So going back to like where the log is in your own eye, like, yeah, I shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have done it that way. That is super de-escalating. Um, recognizing your contribution. Um, if you're on like the defensive end, um, reopening a clammed up heart can be really diffusing. A deep breath can calm your body so that you are de-escalating yourself. And then body language really communicates. So like Austin referred to like having your backs together when you're in bed, how much like of a repair can you make when you physically turn toward um, when there is that separation. So um, great contributions. Um, we will or one more thing I'm going to add, and we'll come back to it um, deeper in a minute, but identifying your own triggered emotion. So like what's really the issue under the issue? Like, am I really mad that you didn't do the dishes, or is there something else that's going on that's underneath the surface? So identifying your own triggered emotion can help to de-escalate. Um, all right, back to, so we took a pause after escalation, so I'm going to go back to the N, negative interpretation. That's when you believe the worst in the other, and often where we're believing the worst is where I am insecure. So our heart is making that accusation towards our spouse that they meant this, or they, when they said this thing, they were attacking whatever insecurity you already have. Um, so interpreting things through that negative lens. Um, so if you feel defensive or skeptical, it might be that you have negatively interpreted. So when we talked about Gottman's marital, sound marital house in session two, we talked about a concept called positive sentiment override. And that is his very clinical way of saying believing the best in one another. And the ways that we do that is going back to establishing friendship, fondness, and admiration. So if you're finding that the negative interpretation is something that you really struggle with in conflict, I would say go back to that sound marital house, go back to those strategies that we talked about to develop the fondness and admiration and reestablishing friendship so that you get to that level in the sound marital house of positive sentiment override. Last one up there is um, invalidating. So this is like minimizing emotions. This is like um, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Would you just calm down? Like newsflash, calm down never worked for anyone. <laughs> it just doesn't. It invalidates and minimizes, but it actually doesn't lead to much resolution. So these are subtle or direct put-downs of the other's thoughts, feelings, and characters. It might sound like, I already said that, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, just move on. Like, do we have to talk about this again? Like, those are all invalidating comments rather than engaging for mutual understanding. So in the last session when we talked about communication, we talked about how communication has three parts to it. It's what you speak, 
It's what you understand, and it's also a heart posture. And so developing that mutual understanding is going to take the skills of communication rather than having those um, invalidating and minimizing responses when you're in conflict. All right, so as couples, I want you to think about which conflict pitfalls you tend toward um, and talk through how you can walk out the alternatives instead. And again, we're going to ask you if you haven't or if you need to, um, go ahead and repent to one another for the ways that you have um, caused harm. So we'll give you several minutes to discuss that as couples. I hope that discussion was helpful for you guys. Um, we do want to switch gears a little bit and jump into some helpful tools. So um, first we'll have a video. Schultz von Thun's Four Sides Model. This is Tim. On Sundays, he likes relaxing with his girlfriend, Sandra. But sometimes the mood changes very quickly and they suddenly start fighting without even knowing why. Tim wishes he had an instruction manual for these situations, like a kind of checklist. And he's not the only one. Many psychologists have spent a lot of time studying communication. They have developed several different models. For example, Schultz von Thun's well-known Four Ears model. This is designed to help with communications problems, to better analyze and solve them. This is just what Tim needs. Does it mean he has to grow a new set of ears? No, the model was originally named the message square and is also called the four sides model. The theory states that every message contains four different pieces of information. These are factual information, a self-revelation about the speaker, a message about the relationship between the speaker and the listener, and an appeal. Every message is intended to have a certain effect. Usually we only consciously convey one piece of information, but all the other elements of the message are subconsciously received by the listener, and he then decides how he chooses to perceive them. Tim's statement, the window is open, could lead to problems between him and his girlfriend. For him, the appeal is the most important part. Close the window. But the other facets are also important. I don't want to do it. I'm too tired today. My girlfriend likes to help me. She knows that I'm stressed out. Sandra hears the appeal, but she interprets the other facets quite differently. She hears, I'm lazy, and my girlfriend is my servant. The factual information is not actually very important for either of them. Why does everything have to be so complicated, thinks Tim. There are many factors that can disrupt communication. Tones and gestures, biased expectations and attitudes, or fears and concerns can all lead to misunderstandings. Personal history can also play an important role. So what's the solution for this problem? Talking. The miracle cure is called metacommunication. Communication about communication. But you have to be brave to face self-criticism and to share your feelings. Questions like, what is our relationship like? And why did I answer back? Can help here. Awesome. And even if they do fight again, Tim doesn't have to worry. He now has a better understanding of lots of problems and can handle them more thoughtfully. Now he's looking forward to the next weekend with his girlfriend even more.
All right, so the four sides model um, can be helpful. Um, I think if we are going to use it well in conflict, I have a few tips. Um, so the first tip would be that if you are the communicator, stick to communicating the part of the message that is most important for you. So in the example they gave on the video, if Tim had said, hey, would you please close the window? That could have gone a lot better than stating the fact that the window's open, right? Because you're leaving things up to interpretation. So as a communicator, the more we can stick to saying clearly the part that's most important, the better it can go over. Um, another example that comes to mind, I see this sometimes um, with adults and children, where adults will say things like, do you have to keep doing that? And we have all learned that the message underneath that question is an appeal to stop doing something, right? But kids don't understand that. It's not clear. They have to learn how to interpret it appropriately. So instead of, do you have to keep doing that, we could say, please stop kicking the walls. That's We say that a lot at our house. Please stop kicking the walls. Um, so... In relationships as well, we're expect we often are communicating something and expecting our spouse to interpret things the way that we want them to be interpreted, but we haven't actually said the message in a way that was clear in the first place. Um, so if you're the listener, this positive sentiment override that we talked about a few minutes ago becomes important again because if you can believe the best or at the very least, ask some clarifying questions, um, conflict could be managed better. Um, instead of making the interpretation that she made in the video of my boyfriend is lazy and he thinks I'm his servant, asking a question of like, what, what were you wanting me to do with that information? Or I, yeah, the window's open, is there something that you need from me? Or um, or even being, a, you know, they said the solution for the, the misinterpretations is talking about talking. So even being able to say, hey, I don't think that you probably meant this, but I'm feeling like, like maybe you're just wanting me to serve you. Is that what's going on here? You know, so asking the questions diffuses things and um, rather than just leaving the negative interpretation um, Anything else? Um, James 4.1 gets to a root cause of conflict. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So when you're, you have an issue with your spouse, when you have a conflict, where does it come from? the desire that's it within you, right? We talked about getting the log out of your own eye. What is that desire that's within you? Oftentimes, we don't, we don't understand that, right? Uh, our son Bennett is three, and he goes from happy-go-lucky to really frustrated and throwing his arms and jumping up and down. He doesn't really understand that emotion. He doesn't under understand the desire that's inside of him. I know a lot of adults that are that same way. 
And so how do you get to the root of that desire? How do you, it takes a lot of self-evaluation, okay? If we are adults that don't evaluate, okay, why did I say it like that? Why do I feel the way that I feel? When they said that, why did I go here? It takes a lot of digging and excavating. It takes a lot of time and effort to get there, okay? Um, is it worth it? Yes. This is a skill that needs to be learned and developed, okay? If you are good at that, fantastic. If you're not, start working on it, okay? Um, talk to someone who's good at, uh, who, can, who can communicate clearly their feelings, okay? Jill is a great communicator of her feelings. I was not, and I'm still working on it, right? Um, but Jill has helped me to get there and to dig deep. What did you mean when you said that? Why would you say something like that? What does that come from? I don't know, and I just want to cut it, shut it off. No, I need to go there, okay? Um, so what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Yeah, it's been said that hurt feelings awaken relational fears. So when you notice that your feelings are hurt, often a fear of some kind has been triggered or tapped into. So like thinking about a simple disagreement, like where should we eat tonight? Sometimes like that disagreement is not emotionally loaded. And sometimes it is. Like, why? I would argue that it's because sometimes it's tapping into, so, okay, I'll just, like, play out a scenario. This is not usually how it goes in our marriage. I usually pick where we eat because he doesn't actually care that much. And he trusts my taste in food. But let's say, for example, um, Austin is like, we're going to eat pizza tonight. And for some reason, that taps in, like, I didn't want pizza. I don't want to go to pizza. I realize I'm using, like, a silly example, right? But is it tapping into, I feel like my voice isn't represented in our marriage. I feel like I'm unimportant to you. I feel like my opinion doesn't matter. You know, again, the issue under the issue. We're evaluating, like, if somehow our choice of restaurant is turning into a big conflict, having the skill to pause and recognize like what's going on under the surface can be really insightful because it's not really about the pizza. It's about my voice. It's about, does my opinion matter to you? It, it is about like, do you value me? Do you, or s for some people, it's really a struggle of like, I feel stupid. Like, when you just make all the decisions, it makes me feel inadequate or it makes me feel dumb. Like, like I just have nothing to add. So um, the next slide, could you put the 20 relational fears? So this is just att our attempt at starting the conversation of what might be tapped into when you have conflict. So I'll read them quickly. Um, these are, like, a top 20 Obviously, it's not comprehensive, but these are some relational fears that people strugg struggle with that get tapped into in conflict. So fear of being rejected, judged, fear of feeling disconnected or lonely, fearing 
powerlessness, I will just like give a small caveat here. Um, if you are someone that has sexual abuse in your background, powerlessness is probably a big trigger point for you. Um, I am a victim of sexual abuse, and the shame and the powerlessness that comes um, from having your body violated in that way is a very real thing. So I realize that feels like a very heavy caveat, but to recognize like a lot of times these triggers come from a very real and wounded place and aren't just like made up things. Um, and there is hope that when you have felt powerless to find your voice in your marriage could actually be a really healing thing. And it could really, um, I mean, this morning in, um, in our service at, at some point, Paul was talking about um, women's voices being squashed in the big church at large. And for women particularly to find their voice and to have the courage to speak up in the kingdom would be transformative. Um, so powerlessness um, is very common with um, particularly sexual abuse. Um, being invalidated, feeling defective, inferior, worthless, like a failure, fearing being devalued or humiliated, being misunderstood. I find this one to be a really common thing. Um, there's a book out there called The Seven Desires of Every Person's Heart or Every Man's Heart. It's written by, um, their last name is Lasser, L-A-A-S-E-R. And they talk about how um, God has created us with seven desires. This is kind of a side note, not in my notes. Um, that God has created us with seven core desires and that um, God intended us to have them because he wants to be the fulfillment of them but then we get this like mismatch going on when we're trying to find them through people and not through God um, and one of the ones that he talks about I think it's number one on the list is um, being heard and understood um, there are other ones as well. Um, I don't think I could list them all for you, but you could find them um, if you do a quick Google search. But this is a big one. This is at the core of us. We want to be understood. We want to feel seen. We want to feel understood. Um, fearing being abandoned, feeling unimportant, ignored, unwanted, disliked, feeling distrustful, especially if there has been broken trust in the past. And so we need to be making those steps to rebuild the broken trust. You can revisit session two. Um, if there has been broken trust and how to reestablish that, um, particularly if you are the one who did not break the trust, um, you might fear that you know, this conflict is because you're hiding something or this conflict is because you've like made a mistake again and you just don't want to tell me those types of feelings um, and then fearing feeling unhappy. Um, so with your spouse, I want you to, um, to discuss which fears on this list are trigger points. And if you want to add some, you have the freedom to do so. So we'll give you several minutes to talk about what might be trigger points for you. What I would say just about the relational fears, this is obviously a big deal. We all have fears and relational fears. Um, I would encourage you guys to continue this discussion later, right? Continue, go back to this, dig deep into this. This is something that is not just a one and done conversation. You have the conversation, 
and then you live life and you go about your life and you need to remember this and you need to come back to it with your spouse, okay? Um, a fear that Jill has in our relationship is the fear of, a fear of powerlessness with our finances, okay? I'm a financial advisor. I am very good at telling people what they need to do with their money and why to help them achieve their goals. But if Jill and I don't talk, that doesn't go well, right? If we don't communicate about that, it doesn't go well. That's a real fear that I continually have to go back and say, hey, we have this, what should we do? He and is good about it, but recognizing that that would be my tendency has helped us. Yeah, it's an ongoing thing that I have to continue to go back to her with. I would even just like say with this conversation about fear, obviously like all of us in this room, like we all want to be walking in freedom and in faith and not crippled by fear. And uh, as spouses, like we have maybe the, the loudest voice or like the strongest opportunity to bring freedom into the life of our spouse because we get to reassure them of the truth, right? So like we are not powerless because we have Christ in us. We are not abandoned because he will never leave us or forsake us. We are not devalued because guess what? The value of our life is that Jesus died on the cross for us and purchased us as his own. Like I have the loudest voice in Austin's life to remind him of the truth and to speak faith into him so that he is freed from the fears that he would tend toward. I'll get off my soapbox. Um, we are going to turn a corner. Um, but it, again, yeah, it's, I mean, we have, we have a space and an opportunity and to, to miss that opportunity would be a disservice. Um, you know, if we go back to what's the purpose of marriage, if it is really to glorify God, then we get to be the iron sharpening iron. We get to be the one that's, uh, that's helping our spouse to come up out of the muck and the mire and to walk in freedom and to walk in faith. Oh, this is not what I want. Sorry. Could you go to the one that says turtle at the top? Turtle, turtle. Do I have that up there? Do we have it as a slide? That's probably my mistake. I'm sorry. Um, thank you. Um, I'm going to read something to you, and then we have it as a handout. That was on me. Oh, that's okay. Um, so we are going to talk about conflict handling styles, okay? So I'm going to give four categories. They will be animal categories. Um, and I want you to just listen the first time through and try to pick out, like, what is most like me? You may not feel like it exactly fits you every single time, but generally speaking, which one is your description? And if you find that there are two that you're kind of like split between, think about the context of your marriage because that's the purpose of our conversation tonight. Um, okay, the first one is turtle. Turtles prefer to hide in their shell away from conflict. When they are confronted, they will abandon their own goals and relationship to stay away from conflict. So this is also called an avoiding style, which pursues neither their own beliefs 
or the beliefs of others. Rather, they will postpone or dodge conflict altogether. That was the turtle. The next one is a teddy bear. So the teddy bear wants to keep peace at all costs and to be liked. They will ignore their own goals when faced with conflict to maintain the relationship. This is also called accommodating, which puts their own needs and desires aside and gives in to the other to others' needs and desires. Teddy bear. That was a teddy bear. The third one is a fox. The fox is willing to give up some of their own goals and try to persuade the others to do the same. The relationship is maintained, but neither party is truly satisfied. This is also called a compromising style, which looks for a give and take from both parties. That was a fox. The fourth one is a shark. The shark takes a firm stance on their beliefs and often overpower the needs of others. This is also called the competing style, and they defend their viewpoint until the other party is convinced they are quick to address conflict. That is a shark. So, Okay, so we're going to pass um, these, literally everything that Jill just read. You're going to get a sheet of paper that has it on it. While she's passing that out, take a sticky note and write your name on it. Okay. If you are not sure which one of these animals you are, please go ahead and reread the definitions, maybe one or two that you're between, and pick the one that you are most like. Write your name on the sticky note. Okay, write your name on the sticky note. Okay, now what I would like us to do, this is a two-part instruction, so if everyone would listen really quickly, can I get your eyes? Okay, so you have your name written on your sticky note, okay? You know which one you are. We've got two uh, sheets of paper up here. It's all, it's the same, okay? It doesn't matter which, well, if you're on this side, go this way. If you're on that side, go that way, okay? Take your sticky note, when I say go, not yet, take your sticky note and place it on the one that you are most like, okay? And then, coming back to your seats, we're going to change seats, okay? We want the sharks all to gather up here, okay? We want the foxes to gather back here, and the turtles back here, and then the teddy bears up here. What? Yeah, the turtles walk slower, so they're going to be closer to the, yeah. Okay, right. everybody clear? If, you ha- if you're taking notes, grab your notepad, take it with you in a pen. Turtles are back by the twos and threes classroom. Teddy bears are Jesus is better over there. The fox is up here. Oh, I'm sorry. Fox is back by Jesus is better. Teddy bears are up in the front right here. Okay, so everybody listen up. Here's what we want to do, okay? We need someone to scribe for each group, okay? And that person is then, or someone from the group is going to come up and share what you guys talk about and come up with, okay? So talk about the pros 
and the cons to your conflict style. Okay, there are pros and there are cons to everyone's conflict style from all of these. Okay, it's easy to talk about your pros, might be a little harder to talk about the cons. Okay, and if there are verses that go along with that, jot those down. Claro que si? Estamos claro? Okay, questions? Go for it. Okay, if you guys would, stay sitting where you're sitting, okay? And I'm going to go around, and I'll have each of your spokesperson share, okay? If you would, please reread the definition, and then share the pros and the cons, and if there's any scripture that came to you guys' mind when you were talking. So, from the shop, from the shocks, who's sharing from the sharks? Um, okay, the shark, we uh, take firm stances on our beliefs and often overpower the needs of others. Um, competing style to defend their viewpoint until the other party is convinced. They are quick to address conflict. So a pro is that we do want to resolve conflict quickly, but that can tend as a conflict or as a con to um, lead toward impatience or nagging. Um, we can be confident. Um, we can work well with others. We're not easy to persuade, but on the con side of that is that we're unwilling to compromise um, and we are not willing to be persuaded. Um, for pros, we are caring and passionate. We're direct. We have strong voices um, and in a redeemed way we can lead well, um, but we can tend to steamroll. Um, Let's see here. Uh, we are authentic, honest, transparent, and mission-focused um, for pros. But for cons, we can be controlling. Sometimes we don't listen very well. Um, and we can be a dominating voice, um, especially for wives. Submission can be difficult if you are um, a shark. Um, and then sometimes we can seem uncaring, and we tend to escalate more quickly and think that we're right. Um, and then in the competitive piece is like we can be bent towards just being right in conflict with our spouses. No verses from the sharks. <laughs> ben has one. Yeah, go for it. Romans 12. That's all right. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. If, if we have something that we're fixed on, we have to have the right thing that our heart is fixed on, if that's our vision, then we'll begin to orient everything else around it, and we will endure to pursue the one thing that matters most. Okay, boxes. Who's going to share? Uh, yeah, so foxes are willing to give up some of their own goals and try to persuade the other to do the same. The relationship is maintained, but neither party, party is truly satisfied. Compromising style, which looks for give and take from both parties. That was the first word we thought of compromise. Being able to like meet in the middle is a pro. Um, and that requires um, being a team player. So thinking that it's not all about you and your thoughts or opinions all the time. You have to consider the other person. Um, that alludes to also being sympathetic. So when you hear someone's other side, you know, you're willing to listen and understand. Um, I think 
that requires also humility and good listening skills. Um, and something we all kind of commented on is that a fox, I don't know, I felt this way, and I know a few others did, that we can be the fox, but also feel like there are other like qualities from the other animals, like teddy bear or shark or, or turtle. I mean, I think we all kind of felt like we are generally fox, but also can, can slightly lean towards those other things, which can be good and bad. Um, the cons we, we found for the, for the fox that we thought of, um, you can, we can tend to, because of this, um, you know, ability to compromise and, and kind of, um, I don't know, navigate these things, can often also lend to settling um, or abandoning, like, an issue and not maybe being conclusive about a certain stance, um, like justification can be an issue, like um, in the means of um, like leaving something up to interpretation and not like being conclusively like, yes, this was right and this was wrong. It can kind of just be like neutral or complacent um, and being content with complacency with not maybe clarity or um, being in the gray. That can also lend to being wishy-washy as a word that kind of came up that was good. Like, if you're kind of gray and not really decided, you can kind of swing one way or the other at different times and be inconsistent. Um, and something else we thought of was a difficulty in like saying no. So just rather just saying yes out of like, well, I just don't want to deal with it. It's like, let's just say yes and I'll, I'll just appease you and, and kind of just let you, um, I don't know, let you be right or let you have your, your goals as opposed to mine but not actually dealing with the issue at hand. Yeah, first somebody wrote down uh, Philippians 4, 9, 19. Is that I can do all things through Christ? What is it? Uh, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Yeah. One thing I would just add for the fox is that there is conflict that can't can't be give and take and so that can be a challenge oftentimes for people who tend towards fox like either yes we're going to do it or no we're going to do it like there are some times that that the compromise isn't an option and so that can be a challenge for someone who tends toward that fox okay so we got the turtles <coughs> turtles prefer to hide in their shell away from conflict when confronted they will abandon their own goals and relationships to stay away from conflict, avoiding style which pursues neither their own beliefs or beliefs of others. Rather, rather they will postpone or dodge conflict altogether. So some of the cons is um, have a stunted heart growth and connection. Um, we avoid and don't really go into resolution we don't want to like resolve our issues or anything we're just fine with hunkering down our shell and just walking away and trying to avoid that um some of the pros though is uh like with not being quick to conflict uh james 119 being slow to speak uh quick to listen and s slow to anger um this is this is First Peter four eight, love covering a multitude of sins. First um, Corinthians thirteen, just uh, being being loving and not keeping a record of wrong. 
overlooking sins again. Um, and also not matching the energy or some of the pros of the of the turtle. It's good. We separated the turtles and the sharks on purpose. Teddy bears. Um, the pros, they can be comforting. Um, where is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Teddy bear wants to keep peace at all costs and to be liked. They will ignore their own goals when faced with conflict to maintain the relationship. So pros can be comforting, calm, peacekeeper, though that's also a con because it's better to be a peacemaker. Um, they can diffuse the situation because they can often see different sides. Um, I don't know what that says. <laughs> Adaptive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Adaptive, willing willing to adapt and um and they yeah, will have different perspectives because they're willing to look at other people's views, not just hold their own as in as the most important. Um our cons have an extra sheet. Um because we're hard on ourselves. Michelle says. Um, so we, because we're more willing to see other views, we're more likely to compromise our own, which can be good, but also bad when it's uh, uh, important value. Um, we can be walked over easier. I think that's what it's taken advantage of. Um, putting yourself last. Um, if you don't, if we don't like, aren't sure to practice self-care. Um, Overly quiet and passive aggressive um, because you want to be heard, um, but you also want to be compliant. Um, you can be a yes man, push down your feelings, and hope it will go away. Let me just <laughs> love your neighbor as you would love yourself. <laughs> this. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to um, write uh, write some things into this chart, and I'm going to have Kimberly do the same on the other side. So um, on the bottom axis, we're going to write the importance of relationship. Importance of relationship along the bottom. And then along the y-axis, going up or down, however you want to do it, Importance of task. So, if you look at where the different an animals are located, the turtle tends to think relationship isn't actually that important and task isn't really that important. Neither of them is really worth it. And sometimes that looks like Christ who does not revile when he was reviled. The teddy bear tends to think of importance of relationship as a high value, but the task is not such a high value. So 
I'll give of myself to maintain the relationship, but like Katie was saying, there are things that I value as important that I'm just gonna let go of, and I end up actually like not really walking in integrity of like meaning like in who I am. The fox, so Mark said, you know, sometimes you see the fox as like a little bit shark, a little bit teddy bear, a little bit turtle. Well, because where they fall on the graph is that they want to maintain both, but things have to give a little. So relationship has to give or task has to give in order for um, a resolution to be met. And so the compromising style. Um, like I said earlier, um, there are conflicts, though, that you cannot maintain both, which is why the fox is in the middle and not up here. This would be like you can perfectly maintain relationship and you can perfectly maintain task, which just is like not possible in a fallen world. Um, the shark has high importance on the task, but low importance on relationship. So that tendency to address issues can be a really good thing. I mean, we see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and we see him flipping tables because it was important to him that his house was not desecrated, right? So there are times that all of these things look like Jesus. There isn't a right and a wrong, but there is a right time and a wrong time to use these different styles. And as we are all walking in maturity and allowing him to shape us and conform us, um, we have the flexibility to let the Spirit of God, if we're a turtle, teach us to confront. And if you're a shark, which is my tendency in marriage particularly, I don't think it comes out quite as much in relationship with other people, but where the Spirit of God can teach me to shut my mouth and to bear with and to be slower to speak and to listen and to not be quarrelsome and to not pick fights and to not be a nagging wife, um, the Spirit of God helps us to walk into maturity. And so, again, there's not a right and a wrong. And you will find scriptures that both support and protest all of the styles. But as we walk in maturity, um, he refines us. Oh, take note of where your spouse placed himself or herself. This is a rhetorical question. Would you agree? Are you surprised? Yeah. Um, who is this name? All right, so as a large group, we want to discuss quickly, how might you approach differently with your spouse now having identified and talked about your style? I can give an example. 
when we went through this, it was in missionary training, and we identified that I tended towards shark, Austin tended towards teddy bear, and it gave a lot of insight for us because he would appease me, and I'd be like, fight with me. Come on. Do you even care? Like, do you, like he's trying to maintain the relationship, but as a shark, I'm like, the relationship can withstand this. Come on. Like, we've got to get to the bottom of this. We have to find a resolution. Like, and so having the language for this, it was like, it was so helpful for us for me to be able to then say, like, I just, I feel like you're appeasing me, but we're not really reaching a resolution or your voice isn't actually being, like, represented in this conversation. And for him to be able, I don't think you ever said this, but to be able to diffuse me that, like, we're going to make it through, like, it's going to be, I don't know. We don't have to do, talk about it right now. We don't have to talk about it in this way. We can find a resolution. I can represent my needs, that type of thing. Anyone else have ideas of what you might want to do differently? Switch teams. You think you're a fox. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts? Okay, more switches. Okay. So, one of the things that we did, okay, um, this is just a very initial um, taking, like, initially teaching you on these conflict styles, okay? There is so much more in depth that you can go into. Um, during missionary training, we spent an entire morning, okay, as uh, going as, as our group and meeting with each individual group and telling them what we appreciated in their conflict style. So if your spouse is in a different one or if your spouse is in the same one, Take note, what do you appreciate about how they approach conflict? Because like Jill said, every conflict style is, is a good thing, and we see it in the Bible, and it also needs to be protested in areas. So that was the, the morning was sharing what we liked. The afternoon was sharing what we didn't like. It got really heated. Dinner that night... Like so awkward. it was so awkward. You could cut the tension with a with a knife. I, mean, I was, was in the shark group, and there was a turtle who like flipped to a snapping turtle, and yeah. had his opportunity to tell sharks what he. I think he had some deep traumatic wounds, honestly. But it it was quite uncomfortable. He not in a yes, yes yeah. he was. Yeah. So um, I want to encourage you guys to really. Uh, talk about this with your spouses and really understand, okay, when conflict happens, where are we at? How do we, how do we get there? How do we, how do we meet in the middle and what's really important right now? Okay, Mitchell. So Jill, what you said a moment ago about, <clears throat> um, like, I know you don't represent all sharks, but when you said, like, our relationship can withstand this, and like, let's talk about it, let's go there. I thought it was so good, and it was good language for me to use because the other three groups, if you read the descriptions, I think it's probably safe to say that there's, we, 
the turtles, the foxes, the teddy bears, we, we tend to avoid conflict or diminish. We don't, we're not as comfortable with conflict as the sharks are, put it that way, all right? And so I think that was great language for me to be like, okay, it's, they view it as okay, like we can get on the same plane and, and be willing to go there as opposed to avoid. And I know just speaking from our own relationship, I've avoided conflict and then it finally gets to the point where, hey, I gotta say something and all of a sudden, like, wow, that was so much easier than I ever thought it was going to be. It was all my own mental block that created this mountain. And it wasn't Brittany, per se. It was me. So I just wanted to kind of underscore that point and say, hey, for the non-sharks in the room, like, there's relationship here. You're in marriage. A lot of your marriages for a long time. And hopefully they're growing in health. But, like, you can withstand some things and it's okay to go there and that's that's why we're doing this ministry so that we have language for being able to go there. That's really good. Thanks for adding that. You are welcome to head back to your original seats. Thank you guys for that vibrant discussion. Okay. So we want to talk about some do's and don'ts of addressing conflict. Okay. The rest of tonight is, is giving you some specific, well, number one, we'll talk about do's and don'ts. We'll talk about, it will give you a formula, okay, that you can follow. Um, and so, we're just going to shout it out, okay, some do's and don'ts of addressing conflict. Who will start us off? Don't joke, Don't joke in conflict. That's good. No sarcasm. Don't be on your phone or distracted. Don't exaggerate. What about some do's? I mean, we can keep going with the don'ts, but what about some do's? Do listen. Good. Ask questions. Look your spouse in their eyes. Try to understand the other point of view so well that you want them to win. Sounds like a fox. <laughs> okay. Be careful of your tone. Be humble. Watch your tone. Yeah. What else? For, so talk until there's closure. Do talk until there's closure. Represent. Represent Christ. So remember that you want to be on the same page. Remember you're on the same team. Yeah. So, yeah, diffuse, and okay, we want to get to this point. We want to get it figured out. Good. You got some don'ts? Don't use always and never. Austin's quote when we were preparing was that he wants to put, never use always and never because they're 
almost always never right. Right? There was yeah. so many always and nevers. It was a lot. Don't accuse. Don't minimize. Don't walk away. Don't assume. Don't blame shift. Don't forget you're different for a reason. Don't be mean. Manipulate. Don't manipulate. Don't be passive aggressive. So we we have some other things that we had written down. Okay. Um, do take it to the Lord. Deal with it quickly and keep to the present. Don't go back, right? Well, you did this. Remember when you did that? No, let's keep to the present. Keep to one issue. So how do you respond when there are multiple issues coming out? Or, or, or hey, Ben, I need to address this, comp- this, this issue with you, and then you throw five things back at me. What do I do? Hey, that's a that's hey, that's a that's a legit point. Can we table that for now and let's discuss that later and let's stay on this issue. Grant. Yeah. Yeah, is conflict a landmine or a gold mine for you? Lovingly limit your words. Express your feelings appropriately. Be quick to forgive and admit wrongdoing. Apologize. Apologizing is good. Um, don't attack character. Is that on there? Don't criticize. Yeah. Yeah. We said don't assume. Another one could be mind read. Right. Don't predict how people will respond. Oftentimes, me as a teddy bear. I predict how people are going to respond, and therefore I, hey, that's okay. You take it, I'll, I'll give. Don't counterattack, and don't use always and never statements. They're almost always never true. Okay. All right. Um, using I statements is um, a very helpful strategy in managing conflict. So I think I alluded to this in one of our other sessions, but an I statement starts with I, right? And oftentimes it's followed by the word feel, um, but an I statement is um, expressing your needs or wants and your perspective of the conflict. Um, They're very diffusing, and they're helpful for finding a resolution. Um, I just would say beware of using an I statement that's actually disguised, like it's actually a you statement. So let me give an, let me give some examples of I statements. Like um, Austin talked about our finances. So I could say something like, I feel overlooked when financial decisions are made without my input. You see how that feels really different than you never consider my point when we make financial decisions, right? Like it diffuses it to say an I statement. But the trick to this is sometimes it can start as an I statement and flip. So I feel like you never consider my point rather than I feel overlooked. So that that third word is strategic and important to make sure that you aren't going to the criticism, the um, attacking character, 
Um, but you're still able to communicate what you are wanting to resolve without it creating um, more of an argument. I want to read something out of, this is Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. This is a curriculum we like to use in premarital counseling. Um, thank you. Um, I'm going to read just a few sentences about I statements um, from this book. It says, I statements dispense information to be understood rather than accusations to be defended. I statements do not cause defensiveness because they say nothing about how bad your spouse is. Instead of saying, you are so careless, how could you forget that we were going out tonight? It would be better to say, I feel hurt and a little scared when you forget things that we planned together. This allows you to express your feelings of being neglected, but you're saying it without accusing your partner of intentionally hurting you. So a couple other um, I statements. I, I feel unimportant. I feel devalued. I feel out of the loop. I feel hurt. Those are all really great ways to start an I statement. I want to talk about this is an I statement. I want to resolve this is an I statement. I feel misunderstood. There are all kinds of emotion words that you could fill in. Um, some examples of bad I statements. I feel like you are a jerk. I don't care. I did it like this because you did that. Um, that is actually blame shifting. I wouldn't have done it if. That also is um, a disguise. I mean, it starts with an I, but it's not taking responsibility and ownership. So I'm going to have you discuss some things at your table. Um, I'm going to set up a scenario for you, and then I want you guys to practice using I statements. Okay, so there are two people in our scenario, and you'll have to pick which side you're on. You have been planning to go on a date, which has already been rescheduled twice. One of you has something come up that feels urgent, important, emergency, necessary. The other of you believes that you should keep your date night because what came up for you can wait. So this is going to be a group discussion because I think we'll get more ideas and more practice with I statements. So um, once again, the scenario for you to discuss. Do I need to repeat it or you guys feel good to go? You good to go? Awesome. All right. Come on back. How was that for you? Kind of challenging? Trickier than expected maybe? Yeah. It can be hard. Um, I ha there was a good question over at the table over here, they were asking, does it always have to be an I statement? And I was saying that, you know, an I statement is the skill that we're practicing right now, but it's not the only skill in conflict resolution. So if you are able to find other ways to convey what your concern is and the impact that their choices are having on you without going to accusation and criticism and sarcasm and escalating, it's not that you have to use an I statement, but this is a skill that you can add into your um, toolbox. Um, another tool, um, someone over here said they wanted to have a formula. So we have two formulas, actually. The first one, um, I like to kind of layer these on top of one another. So first of all, we need to give a shout out to sharpening your interpersonal skills um, through international training partners. Um, we got this first model from them. Um, so they 
give us a three-step model, present the problem, you're stating facts. So going back to that um, four sides model, we're gonna stay on the facts and not the impact for the first one. The second one is expressing the impact. So that's when you can use the I statements. How does, um, yeah, so maybe an example of like um, stating the facts is this is the third time we're talking about rescheduling. I feel overlooked, devalued, unimportant, like I'm not a priority. Um, and then the third component is sharing your desired outcome. So I would like to keep this date. Okay, so that is a first model. And then I want to layer the second part on top of it. Um, if you've ever been in counseling with me, you've probably heard this from me. So if I, if I could like, like, so I'm matching up the ones and matching up the twos. So by presenting the problem, you could use this like a script. So I noticed, insert behavior. That's a fact. So I noticed this is the third time we're rescheduling. Then um, your I statement, if you want to insert the I feel, um, I have given emotion wheels to lots of my clients. So you can just look that up on Google. Um, and in the middle of an emotion wheel, it's like your core emotions like mad, sad, glad, afraid. Um, and then it expands those into more nuanced words. So if you're having trouble with that second one, d filling in the blank of I feel and then actually using an emotion word, um, an emotion wheel might be helpful to you. Third one, I want, wish, need, and then you're inserting a specific action. So earlier Austin asked the question, who has a, in the slide about the 10 pitfalls, like who has a structure, that was the word, a structure or a format that they use in conflict and this is one that you can use. We found it to be very, very successful. Um, this pattern was particularly helpful for me in tending towards shark because it filtered out some things for me of where I was just being quarrelsome and where there was actually something that needed to change. So the way that this model, I'm talking about the left side now, is what's my desired outcome? Like, am I just wanting to, like, get angry and, like, prove a point? Or am I actually asking for something to change? And so for me, tending towards shark in our marriage, it really helped me filter what needs to be addressed and what do I need to bear with one another in love, Colossians 3. Um, so hopefully that will be helpful for you guys as well. Um, All right, I'm going to hand it over to Austin. So <clears throat> we have talked about a lot tonight, right? We've talked about getting the log out of your own eye first. We've talked about communication pitfalls, the four sides model, right? Facts, self-disclosure, relationship, and appeal. We've talked about negative communication patterns, getting to the root of our fears, identifying your conflict style, the do's and don'ts of conflict style, I statements, and then a helpful checklist for conflicts, okay? Um, this checklist helped me as a teddy bear to give me, okay, 
here's the format. I'm just going to try it and see what happens. Oh, that wasn't that bad. I'm going to try it again. Okay, it wasn't that bad, right? It's, it's given me the language to use, and then it's built my confidence that it actually works. Okay. I think it also helped you identify some of those underlying needs or feelings. Mm-hmm. Because before you would present it, you would like identify like what is it that's going on in my heart? Yeah, what is it that's going on in my, ho- in my heart? And what is my desired outcome? Okay, this is what this is what I think we need to do, right? Um, we have some homework that we will send out, okay? Um, it's also on the slide up here. Um, I'm not going to go through it, if that's all right. Um, what I would, go ahead. If you're not getting our emails, will you come talk to me? Yeah. Um, what I would encourage you guys with, um, so Jill mentioned sharpening your interpersonal skills. It's a workshop by the International Training Partners. Um, it is a fantastic workshop, okay? they You can do it in person. It is a week long. Um, you can also do it online, okay? Um, it's a, I think they do it in the evenings, like once a week. Um, it is a really powerful course that is going to help you to, to communicate better, okay? Um, a lot of the stuff we have has been taken from there or spun off from the international training partners. Um, we know the people that, that run it uh, and that are the head of it. They are fantastic, amazing believers. So um, just a plug for that. Um, it is a really great ministry, and I would encourage you guys um, to really check it out. So um, I want to pray for us tonight, and then we'll head out. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, that um, conflicts can be gold mines, and they don't have to be landmines. Father, I ask you that, that you would help us to understand where we're coming from and what our tendencies are, and Lord, what of that needs to die, and what of that um, needs to be pronounced. Father, would you make us more like you? Would you grow us in maturity in conflict? Father, as we um, maybe have had bad um, tendencies or negative tendencies with our spouses over the years, Father, would you help to right that ship? Just think about an ocean liner turning. It takes a while. Father, would you give us the grace to do it? Would you give us the words to do it and the strength? Father, I ask that that you would help us to apply what we've learned tonight, um, even on our way home tonight. Father, we love you and we need you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our next session is um, February 18th at 6 o'clock. Okay? It's our that final session, and it, we are talking about sex and intimacy. Come on. Love you guys.